The opinions and recommendations in this podcast are those of the participants and not necessarily of ausleisure.com.au. This podcast covers the subject of alcohol consumption and as such is aimed at adults, although it does not contain any subject matter that would be offensive to children. ausleisure.com.au and all participants remind our listeners that alcohol should always be consumed responsibly. This is Richard Maguire from ausleisure.com.au and you're listening to the Ausleisure Grapevine podcast with Greg Nicholson from Doc's Liquor. Greg's a highly experienced and much respected retailer and former vintner from Victoria and we'll be discussing the current trends in wine and beer, new products and techniques along with some tips for buying, choosing and storing wines and beers. So, pour yourself a large one, sit back and relax as we take you on a wine and beer journey. Welcome to episode two of the Ausleisure Grapevine, and once again, I'm here with Greg from Doxlicker in Baldwin. Over the next few minutes, Greg will give us some reports about outstanding vintages, some new wine styles, and then we'll look at our usual sections of best buys of red and white varieties. And we'll finish off with a look at a couple of craft beers. Hi, Richard, and uh, welcome again to... Doc's Liquor in Bournemouth. North. Feel very kind of you. Nice to be here, Greg, <laughs> yeah, I must you. admit. Thank you. Um, I thought I'd talk today a little bit about uh, specific vintages of wines over the last uh, five years or seven years, uh, something that might pertain to some of the listeners when you're collecting wines and putting wines away with a view to get the best vintages around. And I think also that what's happening nowadays when we're... we're talking about drought and all these different conditions that are coming in and global warming, which we will talk about further down the track. Uh, because that, can, that will be a problem. It right? will be a big problem in the future. I think we're going to talk about that in Program 4. It's uh, something that's very relevant nowadays. So I thought if we could have a look today at some of the good vintages yeah. and look at the ones to collect now so that you can build up a little bit before all these problems do start <laughs> to hit us in the future years. Yeah. Um, it might give you a better uh, view as to to what's really worth collecting and from what areas. The big problem is when we look at specific vintages is not just saying that one year is great overall because it might be great in a particular region like the Barossa or McLaren Vale. You've got to really look at the specific areas that really produce great wines out of that great year because just because South Australia had a great vintage doesn't mean that Western Australia had a great vintage and quite often the two of them run opposite ends to each other and you can have a great year in Western Australia in 99 but it can be average in South Australia. So what I've tried to do is pick a little bit of the eyes out of the regions as well and just give you an overall uh, regional report on vintages. So what I thought I might do, I, I just picked a few years out of 1990s uh, that might help with those people that still have 1990 wines. Uh, you'll find that a lot of them are starting to fall over now, and I do get a lot of people that come into the shop and say to me, I've got these wines from 1990 and they're certain vintages of 1990 that are starting to collapse. And when you say collapse, what do you, what do you mean by Well, that? again, in, in the next show, yeah. we're going to talk about cellaring, and I'll, I'll go a little bit more into depth with it then. But just that the wines are getting to the end of their uh, longevity, because right. wines, when you put them down, mature in a certain way. They're a living thing. 
So they'll be very fruit driven at the front of the palate when you first buy them and then as they settle down and start to balance up, after a while the fruit maturity drops out and you will get all the ageing characters of the wood that start to take over and then eventually the wine will just fizzle out so to speak and um, that's why wines quite often when they're too old will taste like vinegar and the, or they get these very old leathery age characteristics. So what we want to do is try and pick the wines out of the cellar at the premium time for drinking and uh, also just if you pick the good vintages you will get more longevity out of your wines at the same time so you can confidently put them down for 10 years or 15 years and uh, as I said next show I'll talk a lot more in depth about the actual selling cellaring process and the best way to keep your wines in good condition so if we look at 1990 through to 2000 as a whole, three or four standout vintages really grabbed our attention during the 90s. The first one was 1990 itself, and 1991 was also a very good vintage, although it's not highly recognised. Um, I had the pleasure of doing a vertical of Grange with John DeVar, the winemaker, uh, several years back uh, and we did 1990 to 98 and almost everyone that I did the uh, vertical with agreed that the 91 Grange was better than the 1990 but because the general perception was that 1990 was such a great vintage uh, when 1990 Grange was released it was at a premium price where the 91 was almost half the price and yet it proved a couple of years later to be much standout wine so um, there's a little hint if you can find any 91 grains around <laughs> jump on it because it's quite a good buy um, other great vintages have been 1996 and probably the all time great vintage of the 1990s was 1998 and so that's a one to really have a look around if you've got some in the cellar they should still be holding up fairly well depending again on the pricing and the quality of the wine. So the the bigger end wines of 98 will be standing up quite well, but I suggest if it's something like $5.50, it might be starting to fall (laughs) over. So I'm sorry to say, but you really do get what you pay for nowadays with wine, Um, even though in, in later years we're seeing much better quality wines come out at much lower prices. Um, and I'll talk about that at the, the end of this report as well. Um, starting with 2000, we found that 2000 has been a fairly average vintage with only some regional pockets that were really showing wines that were of any great quality. Um, Grampian's whites were fantastic, Lower Hunter and Upper Hunter whites, Northern and Southern Tasmanian whites... Uh, Margaret River Reds and Yarra Valley Reds were all very good in this year uh, but on the whole I think it, it didn't produce anything really sensational although having said that we, one of my friends went to a tasting last year at, uh, in South Australia at one of the hotels over there who do it every year and the standout of the tasting was the 2000 Woodstocks Stocks Shiraz and most people have written 2,000 off as a vintage, as I said. So I think the difference with wine is you have to really let it age for a little while and, and just see what happens to it down the track because when wine comes out, 
it's all fresh and young and when it actually starts to settle down and balance out a bit more we see a change in the wine's character and quite often what we think is a fairly average wine at the start turns out to be an outstanding wine at the finish. It's magic. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it is. Um, 2001 was, uh, again, a fairly average vintage that produced very little in outstanding wines, although we did have some odd wine areas such as the Great Southern region in Western Australia uh, for whites and Bendigo in Victoria for reds, which was exceptional. 2002 is where things started to get really good. Now, on the whole, 2002 was rated better than 1998. So, 98 they rated as about a 9 out of 10 vintage. 2002 was rated 10 out of 10. And we saw a lot of exceptional wines, particularly reds from Barossa and McLaren Vale, and again, particularly Shiraz are the big standouts here. A lot of the really big gun reds are still being released, uh, such as Penfolds Grange, Hensky Hiller Grace, and they're just coming on the market now as we speak. They will be highly sought after and will probably go at a bit of a premium this year. So I suggest to the listeners get really chummy with your wine dealers if you want some (laughs) of these wines. Uh, We will see a lot of other uh, higher-end reds sort of coming through this year as well. So things like Peter Lehman Stonewell and, and some of these other quality wines. So just keep your eyes open. Uh, there is still quite a few big, good 2002 reds to come, and these are the ones that would be particularly good for cellaring because they will have uh, a lot of time on them being 2002, uh, and you will get good value out of them. Uh, Swan Districts were particularly good for whites in 2002 and reds, Barossa, Coonawarra, Clare Valley, McLaren Vale, as I said. Uh, virtually, if you made a bad 2002 red, there was something drastically wrong. So, um, on the whole, a, a sensational vintage. 2003 was a drought vintage. This produced smaller, tighter berries on the vines, and it produces what's called a more forward-drinking wine and also a more forward-cellaring wine. And we get wines that are more approachable straight away but won't have the longevity when we lay them down Mm. but again having said that I've got to hark back to 1995 which had very similar conditions and everyone just about rode the vintage off and yet five to nine years later everyone was chasing 95 Shiraz because it was outstanding because of those smaller berries and I've got a feeling this is going to be a little bit similar and Last program I talked about the Glates Arm and Ra, the 2003 that I had, which was just outstanding. So I still think there will be some very good 2003 wines around, uh, particularly the bigger styles. And if you track them down in the shops and go for something like that in Shiraz, you will get great value. Uh, perhaps not the extended cellaring times of 15 to 20 years, but definitely 5 to 10 years you're going to get a great drink and something because of those smaller, tighter berries really intensifies the wine so yeah big flavors 2004 has been a fantastic vintage again um a little bit more softer and approachable straight away i've noticed when i've been trying a lot of the 2004 wines although there seems to be a, a more even spread through the wine so it's been great for uh, overall drinking and seems to be a a, a more smoother sort of even style I found and uh, it has been a very very good year for 
both drink now wine and also I think we'll have great selling potential. I've bought quite a few 04s myself. Uh, just before putting down midterm to to just see what they develop like, but I've seen so many good wines. I've been very impressed by the vintage overall. 2005 has been the absolute duck's guts in vintages, <laughs> and I've spoken to winemakers from Western Australia through to the Hunter Valley uh, over the last year and a half, and they have all told me that this has been the best year they've had. And they've, a lot of them have told me they've had great 04s and they've all said 05s have been better. I feel the wines are a lot more fruit-driven, where that fruit drive gives us more cellaring potential because having more dominant fruit at the front of the palate equates to more longevity in the cellar at the end of the, um, the wine's life. And I really think this is going to be the best vintage that we'll see for quite a while. They're probably, even when you try a lot of the 2005 wines now, they might seem a bit out of balance, which they probably are because of such fruit drive. And I'm buying a lot of 2005 stuff and actually laying it down in the cellar. And I think this will develop beautifully in the, wow. the next couple of years. And um, it's my hot tip is to stock up on 2005 wines. Because, I, yeah, as I said, I really think this is going to be the hot vintage to collect at the moment. Uh, 2006, we've seen mixed pockets. Again, some good whites, in particular Rieslings and Chardonnays from certain areas. Eden Valley, Watervale for the Rieslings. Uh, Chardonnays out of Western Australia are particularly good at the moment. Yarra Valley. Um, again, just to do a, you know, a bit of shopping around, I'm still looking at some of the 2006 reds and testing some. And until I really get to test quite a few more reds before I start to deliver my verdicts on how I think the vintage has gone, I, I don't go too much by label. As I really like to try wines myself and then make my own verdict on how the wine is. The worst vintage I think possibly that we've seen has been 2007 so far. Uh, it's been a real fizzer of a year, in fact. We've had drought, which is part of uh, global warming that's really sort of affecting the country on the whole with not just wines but lots of other products. And we will talk about this a bit further into the programs as well because I really wanted to talk about the uh, situation with the wine industry and what will happen with global warming. Uh, we've had hail that's wiped out most of the Yarra Valley and parts of Barossa and Canberra. Uh, bushfires that have produced smoke-tainted grapes in northern Victoria. And mm. this really is a sad quality in a wine. Yeah. I've tried some bushfire-affected wines before and the taste is not good. They have actually tried to take um, some of the smoke taint out of grapes. They were, they're trying to develop a chemical... Uh, way of taking the taint out but I don't think it worked very well they tried it with some of the Beechworth wines of last year and it wasn't very successful so I think they're going to have big problems by trying to mm. get the smoke taint out of the King Valley so I think this is pretty much a wipeout. Uh, the only really good region that we've seen so far in 2007 will be Margaret River and this should be quite a good vintage from what I hear but uh, on the whole it's been a real disappointment and it's as the industry sees it it will probably be the great equaliser for the industry because we will see the oversupply of the last few years actually come back into balance 
the downside that we will see, though, will be price rises, and we will see not so much abundance of wine that we have before, and in particular, things like clean skins will be in greater shortage, and we won't see the cheaper value wines that we've had. So as far as the consumer goes, I think that what my best advice would be, buy up now, in particular 2005 vintage, store some stuff away because we may see a great downturn in the next few years, not only 2007, but from what I've been reading, they're now forecasting that 2008 and 2009 could be fairly average vintages. So if this is the case, we are going to see a real downturn in the wine industry in the next few years. And when you think about it, if you've got to wait till 2010 before you're going to get any good wine, then buy some 05 stuff now because it will last and stock up a little bit. And I'm already getting a lot of customers coming in to me now saying, can we buy some wines to put away in the future because we hear about the price rises. So, interesting. Stuff. Yeah, my hot tip is grab some now while it's still around. I'm certainly doing that for myself. I'm buying a bit of 05 and 04s and putting them away and having something down the track so that if it all does turn a bit pear-shaped, at least I've got something good in the future. <laughs> so, thanks, Greg. Now, Greg, last show we talked about some new wine styles such as Pinot Grigio. Can you tell us about some of the other exciting new wine styles emerging today? Yeah, sure, Richard. We are seeing a lot more wine styles come out today. We've actually changed as a nation. The uh, likes of our consumer is that they're more educated and wanting to try different styles. And we, instead of just drinking straight Cab Savs and straight Shiraz, and as we talked about in the last show when we featured the uh, Pinot Gris and the Grigios, the ABC movement and anything but Chardonnay. So people are differently, <laughs> uh, sorry, definitely trying their different wine styles. Yeah. And we are seeing a lot more also emerge thanks to the uh, regions like King Valley that house many Italian families. Uh, they were once tobacco growers and now as that industry's had a real downturn, we're now seeing that they're turning their hands to winemaking, which has been a great benefit to us because also what they're doing is releasing some of these wine styles that have been around for quite a number of years, but we've never seen them in Australia. So I thought I'd just highlight some of these styles so that you, if you hear the names, you'll know what they actually are. If you go into a bottle shop and you go, I've never seen a Sangiovese before, um, at least you'll have some idea of where it's from and, and what it actually is. And I won't go into too much details because you can always come in and just ask your wine supplier and he should have enough knowledge hopefully to be able to tell you about these wines Um, but I thought there's some interesting styles on the market today that we've never heard of so um, I thought I'd talk a little bit about some of the Italian styles first uh, we've got the whites that we talked about last week like the Pinot Grigios Pinot Gris and we're also seeing Moscatos which is a the Italian breakfast style. It's uh, usually half alcohol, light, spritzy wine. I always joke with the customers and say that's what they pour on their cornflakes in the morning. Uh, but it is really, a lot of them do. They get up and have a, a glass of uh, Moscato to kickstart the day. So uh, that's why it's half alcohol at about 5%. Um, and in the red styles, we're seeing some really exciting styles come out. Sangiovese. 
uh, is quite popular nowadays. It's a, an Italian varietal red. It literally translates out to the blood of Jove or uh, the blood of Jupiter, which was the Latin god of all other gods and men. And it was the preferred wine of Caesar's troops after the Gallic Wars. So it shows that how long this wine has been in production in Italy, and yet we're only starting to see it now in Australia. So something that has great standing from overseas. Uh, another interesting wine is Nebbiolo. Uh, Nebbiolo comes from up the north of Italy, and in particular Piedmonti, and it means literally in the fog. It's a very big tannic wine. Um, when it's done well, it is absolutely stunning and uh, it does need a bit of cellaring time, although some of the Australian varieties that, that we see are a little bit more approachable. So uh, good to get some and just try them and see what you think. Uh, there's also some very interesting grapes coming out as well from around the King Valley region like uh, Tariga, uh, Tempranillo, which is actually Spanish grape, uh, Tarango, and we're seeing some new wine styles that are hitting the market nowadays, uh, such as Sapavira, which is uh, a Russian grape, a spicy style of red, and something that really hasn't been seen in Australia before. So um, just for our listeners, don't be afraid to try some of these wines and uh, jump off the the Shiraz Cab Merlot wagon and, and just try something different you might get a real surprise and as I said just ask your wine merchants and hopefully they'll have enough information to tell you about these products Well that really is some great advice from Greg there he certainly knows his stuff let's now take a look at some of Greg's top buying tips for this month Now Greg I see you've brought along some interesting wines for us again can you let us know about them, please? Yeah, sure, Richard. I thought, in keeping with our theme of uh, interesting new wine styles, that I might sh- uh, show you some different things. First wine I've brought along is a white wine uh, from Gapstead, which is King Valley-based, and we've brought along their 2005 Petite Manseng. It's, again, Italian-style, Mediterranean-style, uh, very interesting, limited-to-release Priced at about $21.99. It's taken from specially small parcels of fruit that are grown in the King Valley, which is in the Victorian high country, and it's virtually unknown in Australia. It captures the stunning uh, styles of uh, wines of the Mediterranean. It features really ripe peach pear flavours, which are balanced by a crisp and spicy semi-sweet finish. So ideally it's suited to really aromatic Asian dishes such as Thai or Vietnamese and just has that great balance of flavour that just suits these dishes down to, a ground, uh, down to the ground. So uh, if you're looking for something different to try, search it out. It's not in every bottle shop in Melbourne, so you'd have to really look at some of the smaller dealers around the place of course we carry it here at docks and uh, again as i said in the the wine styles if you want to try something different don't be afraid give it a bit of a try it's a, a little bit like a gewurz tremina but uh, something a little bit more interesting i think so that's my first wine of the uh, wine recommendation of the afternoon fantastic and uh, the second one you brought second along one i brought along is Pazzini 2005 Sangiovese. Again, uh, King Valley wine, uh, red style, and it's 
$26.99 in price. It really features bright cherry garnet colour with a very concentrated bouquet of licorice and spice. It has lots of earthy undertones to it and it's a soft but very uh, slight sweetness to the palate with Mm. lingering highlights of plum and cherry and very fine chalky tannins. So it's an ideal pizza pasta wine goes great with a bit of antipasto. Of course, being an Italian wine, it goes with all those styles of food. And again, something a little bit different. So if you want to try something different in your wine styles, then uh, have a look around. There's a few variations on Sangiovese that you can pick up, such as uh, Shiraz Sangiovese, if you want something a little bit more fuller-bodied. But uh, if you want to try the style itself, uh, Pizzini 2005. And Greg, we also looked at some unique Australian craft beers last show. Can you tell us what you brought along this time? Yes, Richard, we've brought along uh, some more craft beers from Australia. I thought I'd feature some of the Snowy Mountains brewery beers uh, purely because I had the pleasure of meeting brewer Kevin O'Neill during the week. We had a beer tasting booked in with them and Kevin was actually down here for the Australian Beer Awards and took the time to come out from the awards just to do the tasting in the shop. And... I was very impressed by the way that they did the tasting. They had hops and barleys and grains and all laid out on the table to yeah. show their customers. Yeah, it was very yeah. interesting. And I was just overall, I, I thought it was a fantastic way to conduct a tasting rather than just having the product there and pouring it into the glass and shoving it into the customer's hand yeah. uh, by actually explaining what was going on with brewing and their outlook on the the brewing side of things, uh, it was a, a great way for the customer to get a better understanding of how beer is made. And uh, the beer itself is exceptional. I, I really like it. I've had it a couple of times and actually run it through different beer events in the store and had great response. So uh, the first one that I've brought along is the Bullock's Pilsner. It's a modern take on the traditional style, which was first brewed in 1842. And it features a rich and complex malt flavours with spicy floral hop bouquet. Uh, They only use the finest pilsner as the base grain with a good measure of specialty Munich malt, which really gives it a deep golden hue colour in the beer. It's medium light in body and has a long-lasting clean head. And this is very impressive when you're pouring your beer out that you want the head to sit there for a while rather than just go flat straight away. Great drink for the money, about three fifty a stubby, seventeen ninety nine a six pack, and just really good clean Australian beer. The second one that they make is the Krakenback Pale Ale. It's also about the same price, three fifty a stubby, seventeen ninety nine a six pack. It's a little bit lighter in body than traditional pale ales, but this beer was designed with the Australian palate in mind and to really help conquer those hotter summer days where you mightn't want a beer that's really too heavy. It's a bright beer with perking notes of maltiness, orange blossom and a rich hoppiness. Deep golden and amber in colour with a soft bitterness and unique spicy flavours that really stand out on the palate. Both the Krakenback and the Bullocks are made with no added chemicals or added sugars which often raise the alcohol that they put in as a secondary fermentation. And it shows the quality of how the beer is made. A lot of craft beers in Australia today are, are really being made with this 
purity law, German purity law, and they just used the four basic ingredients, water, hops, barley, malt, and it's a great way to make beer so that we're not getting all the chemicals and the things that we see in some of the mass-produced beers. And I think that that's why beers made in this way are so popular nowadays. People want a cleaner flavour. And I was most impressed with what Kevin was talking to me about, saying that they've got more beers in the planning at the moment, but they're not fussed, they're not trying to push them out. They just want to produce good beers, so when they're really happy with the beer, they'll release the next one. And uh, I'm eagerly awaiting for the next one to come out. Uh, but at the moment, these are the two that are on the market, uh, the Bullocks and the Krakenback. And as the guys from Snowy Mountains say, they go down smoother than a well-waxed pair of skis. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, great beers to have a look at. It's brilliant. <laughs> well, unfortunately, that's about it for this episode. A big thank you to you, Greg, for sharing your expertise with us today. My pleasure, Richard. And we'll see you next month for episode three. Thanks again, Greg. Thank you, Richard. Well, that's it for this episode. Our thanks go to Greg and everyone at Docks Liquor. If you would like to contact Docks directly, they have stores in Bulwin North and Ringwood North, both in Victoria. You can call them on 03 9859 or 03 And please be sure to tell them that Greg sent you. Docks also have a blog with all of the latest news and information. You can find that at DocksLicker. .bigblog.com.au Oslo's a Grapevine is published every month, so if you like this podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the feed through iTunes and others. Full details on how to do that, as well as the topics covered in this episode, contact details, past episodes and notes on future episodes can be found at www.osleisure.com.au forward slash grapevine. If you have any comments on the show or suggestions for future shows, then please send us an email to grapevine at osleisure.com.au. We want to produce the content that you want to hear. Thanks for listening. This is Richard Maguire for osleisure.com.au, your guide to Australian holiday and leisure activities. Until next time, see you later. <laughs>